Hi everybody, welcome to season four. Before I get to introducing the season, I have some exciting news to share. We have a Patreon. Creating this podcast has been a real passion project for me, and I'm so excited about the seasons we have planned for the future. That being said, the costs of producing the podcast are not insignificant, and so I hope we can find a way through the Patreon to bring you exclusive content that you're excited about and give you an avenue to support the future of the podcast at the same time. To start out, we have two subscription levels, the $2 Please to Meet You tier, which will give you access to our posts on Patreon, including an upcoming poll where you can weigh in on the types of content and benefits you'd like to see in the future, and our $5 Hope You Guessed My Name tier, which will give you access to bonus Patreon-only audio content. We're not exactly sure what this will look like in the future, but to start, you'll immediately gain access to three fiction compilations, which bring together all the short fiction from the beginning of every episode and the epilogue of season finale episodes. There's one compilation for each of our completed seasons already posted. We'd love it if our listeners started to try to figure out all the connections between characters and stories that we've made, and these compilations will help get you started. If you're interested in supporting our work, you can find the Patreon at www.patreon.com nomgpodcast. And now a bit more about season four before we begin. Folks, I couldn't help myself. We're playing Delta Green again. Delta Green, for those who don't know, is a role-playing game of Lovecraftian horror and conspiracy published by Arc Dream Publishing and created by Dennis Detwiller, Adam Scott Glancy, and John Scott Tynes. The story for this season is based on a legendary scenario called The Night Floors, the first part of what is, in my opinion, the greatest RPG campaign ever written, or at least that I've ever read, called Impossible Landscapes, written by Dennis Detwiller. As always, this season would be nothing without my amazing players. Returning from Season 1 and playing Chip Lynch is Mikey Krennic. Returning from Season 2 and playing Dahlia Ivanova is Sarah Lovejoy. And breaking onto the nature of my game scene is Lindsay Brown playing Veronica Doyle. Nothing I could say here could live up to the amazing job they did on this season, so you're just going to have to listen for yourself. I also want to give another shout-out to Jean-Luc Bouchard, who composed and produced our intro music. For those of you who would like to learn more about the Nature of My Game podcast, you can find us at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. Oh, and it's a podcaster requirement that I remind you to please leave us a review if you haven't already. But seriously, it does help a ton, so we'd really appreciate it. And now, with no more ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the first episode of Season 4, Hotel California. New York City, February 22nd. 1995. You know, Abigail, I just hate thinking about you riding the subway at night. I just don't think it's safe. Abigail Wright and her father, Thomas Wright, were walking down a New York City sidewalk, each with an ice cream cone in hand. They were arguing, as usual, but neither was angry. This was part of their routine. Dad, it's not dangerous, or at least not any more dangerous than anything else. I think you've just been around too many criminals. It's warped your sense of reality. Besides, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to take cabs everywhere. Her father laughed. If I'm being honest, sweetheart, I'd rather you stay in your apartment once it gets dark, somewhere safe. Or better yet, come move back to Long Island. You can do your art at home just as easily as here. I'll even set up a studio for you in the house. Abigail laughed and shook her head. You know I can't do that, Dad. Things are just starting to pick up for me. And look around, there's so much inspiration. She smiled to herself. Every weekend, her father would come in from Long Island so they could have lunch together. And every weekend, he tried to convince her to move back home. He knew she never would, but he tried anyway. And who could blame him? After her mother had died, she knew her dad was lonely. Just as she was finishing up her ice cream, Abigail spotted a man standing outside a run-down bookshop that she had never noticed before, which was odd because she lived near here and she loved bookstores. The man was tall and maybe North African. He was wearing a fine, if old-fashioned, waistcoat, and he was smoking a cigarette. Abigail was intrigued. Dad, I'm going to swing into this bookshop for a second. Want to come in? When he refused, as she knew he would, she walked past the man in the waistcoat and into the shop. The interior was cramped and narrow, though it looked like the rows of books on shelves stretched back farther than Abigail had expected. As Abigail started to walk around, she noticed only one other customer in the shop. Strangely, he was also wearing a waistcoat, but had dirty blonde hair and a beard. He seemed to be muttering to himself, and looked like he was jotting notes down in a small leather notebook. She turned her attention away from the man, and started to leaf through the books in a bargain bin she found sitting next to a nearby shelf. She wasn't sure what she was looking for. As usual, she was just hoping that inspiration would strike. Near the bottom of the bin, she found a book that caught her eye. It was thin and bound in red leather, and rather than a title, it just had a symbol embossed on the front. She couldn't quite describe it, but Abigail knew one thing for certain. That symbol made her feel something. Part fear, part inspiration, and immediately she knew she had found what she was looking for. She looked up to see if she could find someone who worked at the bookshop, and noticed that the other customer she had seen was gone. That was odd. 
She hadn't noticed him walk by, and it didn't look like there was an exit the other way. Perhaps he had found another set of shelves that she couldn't see. But as she stared down the row between the bookcases, she saw a woman rush past the other end of the row. No, Abigail thought. It couldn't be. It couldn't be her. Abigail set the red leather book on top of the bin and found herself walking down the row without much thought. Surely it couldn't be her. Her mother was dead. She knew it couldn't be her. And yet, when the woman had rushed by, Abigail was sure that it had been her mother. Abigail reached the end of the row, held her breath, and looked both directions, almost totally convinced now that she would see her mother standing there. As she turned, she came face to face with a woman who was staring directly at her. It was not her mother. Abigail breathed a sigh of relief, but with a touch of disappointment. But rather an older woman who looked perhaps Mediterranean, with long, dark, unkempt hair. Abigail thought that something seemed off about the woman. She looked slightly crazed if Abigail was being honest with herself. Portia, the woman said. Portia, is that you? The way she said it, almost pleading, was too much for Abigail. She quickly said, Sorry, I'm not Portia, before hurrying back down the row and to the front of the store. She was just about to walk through the door when a man's voice called out to her. It was the man who had been standing outside when she had arrived, and he was holding up the thin red leather book. Did you want to purchase this? So our story begins on Thursday, August 10th, 1995, and all of our agents have been summoned to Washington Square Park. They're supposed to meet there in New York, in Washington Square Park in New York City at 4.45 p.m. And even though it's later in the day and the sun is well below its midday peak, it's still extremely hot in Washington Square Park uh, on this summer's day with little to block the sun and hundreds of people crowding the area. Musicians, clowns, jugglers, and other performers being watched by gawking tourists. And the first person that arrives is Chip Lynch. Uh, Mikey, tell us a little bit about Chip Lynch, or Agent Osric, as he arrives on the scene. Yeah, so uh, Chip Lynch is a uh, is veteran FBI agent. He's a bureau man. Uh, he's, you know, he was back in his, in his peak. He was quite the athlete, quite the, uh, quite the physical specimen. But he's gotten a little older. He's in his 40s. Uh, but he's still kind of, even though he doesn't look like it, you know, he's had to go up a few sizes on the windbreaker, he still kind of acts like and thinks like he's uh, still the great athlete of our time. Uh, and today he's wearing, of course, a nice pair of khakis, even though it's 100 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> pair of loafers. Uh, again, even though it's very hot. Uh, short sleeve dress shirt. So, you know, that's that's the concession. Uh, white and a, and a nice black tie, like a Mormon. Amazing. He's he's got that he's got the the Dwight Schrute look going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and so Agent Osric is the only kind of real member of Delta Green at, in in this group. Um, and so he had been contacted through special assignment by the FBI, but he's been around Delta Green for long enough that he knows that this is a that this is a Delta Green assignment. But he has a couple of people that he uh, has learned that he really likes to work with in New York City on these cases. They um, were friendlies, and they, uh, they continue to officially be friendlies. But um, one of them arrives, uh, what about Veronica Doyle, or uh, as she goes by Agent Orlando? Lindsay, tell us a little bit about her. Veronica Doyle, um, she's 33. She's a junior partner um, at a law firm, firm of Hudson, Marks, and Keeley. Um, and I think when she, you know, she's, uh, she's usually a person who's in a rush. Um, so when she's kind of moving into Washington Square Park, there's a sort of frenzied air about her. Um, she's coming straight from work. She, she's playing the look of the lawyer for sure. She's got her, um, black blazer on, her pencil skirt, um, 
Her hair is up in a ponytail, a little bit of a messy one, got a scrunchie wrapped around it. Um, it is 1995 as it is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's kind of juggling a few things. She's got a briefcase in one hand. She's got, you know, um, half drink, uh, you know, iced coffee. And she's not super much, you know, paying attention where she's going. Awesome. And then, Sarah, tell us a little bit about Dahlia Ivanova or Agent Ophelia. Sure. Um, Dahlia is 28 years old and works for Aquavella Galleries, an art gallery on the Upper East Side. Um, She's calm, cool, and collected on this hot day, has like a flowing black caftany sort of dress, very chic, lots of jewelry, as is her norm. And... Yeah, this is a typical day. She was It was easy to get out of work and just say she was scouting some young talent in the park. Um, she's kind of risen the ranks early at the art gallery because she's known for discovering young talent. Yeah, calm, cool, collected, strolling through the park. Awesome. So all three of you arrive. Um, you know, you've worked together a number of times before, and so you probably all kind of notice each other as you arrive, give each other nods, and start looking around for your contact. And it doesn't take very long for you to recognize him because he is someone that you all um, have met before and recognize. He's a white man in his mid-30s with prematurely salt and pepper hair and a scrub beard. Um, he's wearing an oversized suit despite the heat, uh, much, much, like, um, much like Chip, uh, not dressed well for the heat. And he's smoking a cigarette leaning up against the Washington Square Arch. And you all know him only as Agent Marcus. Um, and so if you want to take a look in the Google folder, you can uh, take a quick look at, and I know you've already seen it, but what uh, Agent Marcus looks like. Oh, what a handsome picture. <laughs> Add it to the gallery. <laughs> he, it's like a work of art. <laughs> I don't picture him quite as smiley as he looks in that picture, though maybe he's he's kind of putting on a false smile right now to look more calm. Uh, but when he sees all of you, he, he does he does kind of fake smile at you and wave you over, and it's clear that the smile is put on. And he starts gesturing, or gesturing around as if he's giving you a tour of the area, but what he's saying doesn't match at all the, kind of the gestures that he's making. Sneaky. He says, uh, Agent Osric, I see that you've brought your favorite friendlies again. And the look he gives Chip makes it clear that he's at best confused and at worst concerned about your choice to continue bringing these two along. I assumed you would, though, and you're lucky I was prepared for it. You'd be wiser to let us choose who you work with on these cases, but I know better than to think you'd follow that advice. So we'll get right to it. About two months ago, uh, a local artist, a young woman named Abigail Wright, went missing from her apartment building in Kipps Bay. The NYPD investigated, and they hit a dead end, and they all but dropped the case. Then, last week, Wright's credit card was used again at a gas station in Maryland. The NYPD suspected kidnapping, and so they passed the case off to the FBI. The case was investigated by the FBI, who reached the same dead end, and they're really no longer actively investigating. And so I think, Dahlia, you would at least kind of recognize this name, Abigail Wright. She's a kind of young, up-and-coming painter. She's had a little bit of success. Um, Maybe you've seen her work at some sort of event. You know, it doesn't ring a ton of bells. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it vaguely rings a bell to you. Okay. Agent Marcus continues, uh, When the police first looked into the case, they went to Abigail Wright's apartment in Kipps Bay, and they found that the walls of her apartment were covered in junk that had been glued or taped to cover every surface. They jotted down a few notes about what they found, and when one of our people, and he kind of gives you a knowing look when he says our people, when one of our people at the FBI read the notes, they flagged it to us. It seems as though a symbol associated with demonology and the occult was found at the scene. And that's where you come in. Officially, you've been assigned, and he looks at Chip when he says that, and contracted, and he looks at Veronica and Dahlia, by the FBI to catalog every item and paper in Abigail Wright's apartment so that this case can be wrapped up and filed away and the crime scene can be scrubbed. Unofficially, you know your standing orders. Investigate the location, Determine whether an unnatural influence is behind the disappearance, and if there is, neutralize it. At that point, he hands over a leather valet. Is that how you say that word? Valets? Valet? V-A-L-I-S-E? Anyone know? Is it valise? I don't know. Valise? I think I've only ever read it and never said it out loud. <laughs> Valois. 
Oh. <laughs> you would say the S. I think since it has an E at the end, it's Velez. All right, Velez. Uh, so he, anyways, he hands over this uh, a leather a leather uh, paper holder. A <laughs> um, binder. Uh, uh, it's a rectangle. It has paper in it. <laughs> Three holes. You can picture it. Um, and he says, uh, you should have everything you need in there. It's got your FBI credentials, some background information on Wright and the case, and a key to the building and her apartment. Before you head over there for the first time, give Detective Graham Juradanda a call. He's the lead on the case, and he just wants to check in with you before you start. I'm not sure I have much more information, but let me know if you have any questions. I mean, I have none if everything's in the folder. Ladies, do you have any questions for the man? Can, sorry, can we hear the name of the lead on the case again? Who is that? Sure, Graham Giordanda. Um, he's an NYPD, NYPD detective. Um, and the case has been officially okay. passed over to the FBI, but he kind of was the lead on it. And so he just kind of wants to, you know, point you in the right direction in the apartment and, and check in and introduce himself. Can you spell that? Okay. Sure, I can. Oh, that's impressive. I don't know. I, don't, I, just, I just wanted to know. You know. Just curious if you could. That's impressive. Oh, yeah. Marcus, like, rattles it off. Guy's a good speller. Um, does he give us any other information around like Abigail is just like missing, like who reported her missing? Yeah, he he says that all that information is in the uh, is in the folder. Is in the, okay. The valise. <laughs> the trapper keeper. <laughs> um, he he uh, he says okay, fine. If there's a uh, good, if there's if there's nothing else, um, you know, page me if you need anything. But I'm not sure there's much help I can provide that you couldn't e- more easily get through the FBI. You're all officially working on this case for the FBI. Thank you, sir. All right, and he turns on his heel and walks away. I know, Dahlia, you have a pretty high human. Mikey, uh, or I should say Chip and uh, Veronica, what are your human scores? Mm, minus 40. 60. Mine's 80. Yeah, so you all you all are pretty pretty perceptive. You see that he, like, as he's walking away, he, like, kind of looks over his shoulder a little bit. He, like, he's he looks a little jumpy. Um, like he's worried that somebody's watching him or something like that. And then you actually see him stop in his tracks and he turns around and looks back and says, actually, Agent Osric, uh, could I have a word? All right. He calls you over and he like kind of leans up into your ear so that nobody else can, nobody around could hear anything. And he says, remember, you're the only real agent on this case, Osric. Remember your job. This isn't about finding the girl. It's about finding the threat if there is one and making damn sure that it's gone. And then nobody ever finds out about it. Got it? Got it. As that's happening, Dahlia, you know, you and Veronica are probably kind of looking around, maybe not, you know, maybe not staring at the two of them because it's clear that uh, that Agent Marcus wanted a private word. But Dahlia, you're looking around trying not to stare at Chip and Marcus, and one of the performers nearby catches your attention. It's actually mm-hmm. the music that piques your interest first. It's a strange looping dirge interspersed with a relentless thumb, thumb, thumb of a drum. And it's playing from a scratchy old looking record player. Uh, But more strange is that when you look over in the direction of the sound of the music, you see a small crowd of onlookers who are watching a small clown dancing to the song. Oh. (laughs) And I say small because the clown looks like the size of a child. And they're wearing a coverall emblazoned with geometric shapes of various colors. And they're also wearing a clown mask that covers their entire head. Oh no! The whole head? Yes, the whole head. It's a, it's it's a, it's a it's a full pullover mask. <laughs> Listen, we've all been to Washington Square Park. We know what we're saying. We know those clown heads. <laughs> and you know, already unsettling, the mask is particularly creepy. It displays an unsettling, toothy smile and just has black slits for eyes. And as you watch for a moment, you see that the child-sized clown is dancing on a small, temporary stage in very precise movements with the music, and is dragging a ribbon-covered paper dragon through the air in what you would swear is a specific pattern over and over again. I focus in on it, and I try to see if I can make out the specific pattern that is being used. Sure, so we're going to do our first roll. Uh, right off the bat here, uh, go ahead and make me an int times five roll. And so remember, you're trying to you're rolling a d100 and trying to shoot below your int times five, intelligence times five. Okay, so below seventy. Oh, 18 under seventy. Eighteen under seventy. So you start to kind of pay attention to the symbol 
and it's strange. Um, you know, you don't have it. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to you in particular. But you you pay attention mm-hmm. closely enough that you like. You feel like you could draw the symbol out if you wanted to. Like you've you've kind of you know memorized it, taken it in. Great. I have a bag with me with like paper and pens, so I'm just gonna actually take it out and scratch down the the drawing. Okay. What do you do, uh, Veronica? You you're kind of you know you're you're standing next to Dahlia, and she like. You know, you're not really paying close attention, but then she, like, pulls out her bag and starts to pull out some paper and a pen. You know, I think I'm just going to ask her, uh, do you see something? What are you writing down? Just notes on the art of the park. Mm, okay, girl. <laughs> 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 All right, so you start to draw out this, uh, you know, kind of sketch out this symbol that you saw this clown drawing in the air with the, with the paper dragon. After I've drawn it, I might also ask, um, you know, I'm not going to like share the drawing or share my ideas of what's going on, but I might ask Veronica, like, you notice anything weird about that clown? Like, what do you, what do you think about what's See going on? See that tiny there? clown over there? Do you, do you wait until you've drawn it out before you mention anything about the clown? Yeah. And it's kind of in a casual way. Like I'm not about to be sharing my drawings or anything, mm-hmm. but I'm like, what do you? You know, you've seen me looking at it, and you've mm-hmm. seen me writing something about it. So I'm like, what do, you, what do you think is going on over there? What do you notice? So before that happens, before as you're drawing it, you kind of, you finish drawing it, and it's a strange, geometric, almost snake-like shape. You know, at first it's like, oh, is this some sort of, like, strange sigil? Then maybe it looks like an eye or, or a branch of some sort, or even maybe a dragon. You're really not sure. But you, as you look down at it, you feel this overwhelming feeling of fear come over you as you look down at this symbol. Um, so I need you to roll me a sanity check. We are really getting right into it. <laughs> we are. We are. Who would have thought that okay. a tiny clown would lead to a sanity check? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, we got a 26 under 44. 26 under 44. Okay, so... Um, scary shit before. Just as quickly as the fear came on, it it disappears. Then you kind of kind of gesture in the direction of the of the tiny child child sized clown um, to Veronica, and Veronica, when you look over, um, and in fact when when Dahlia looks up to gesture, the clown is gone and the crowd has dispersed. So I haven't se- so I haven't seen the clown at all. You She's have not gesturing. seen the clown. Okay. okay. What? <laughs> And so Veronica will take a second, you know, looking around, obviously giving the benefit of the doubt, but it doesn't see anything and, and turns back to, to Dahlia and goes, um, uh, where? I'm, <laughs> there's no one, he- there's nobody here. To clarify, Eric, when I look at the area where the clown was, is the stage there? Is there still the record player? Is music still playing? No. So the stage is gone. The record player is gone. The clown is gone. And the crowd, it's, it's, it's almost as if it was never there because like people are kind of milling about that area. Nobody's paying attention to anything like that anymore. And there's no music playing. Correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> What's going through Dahlia's head now? Well, she's wondering if she's the only person who saw this and if it was real or not. Like if it actually was there, or if it's in her mind. And certainly does not want Veronica to know that any of those thoughts are going through her mind. Uh, so she kind of like shakes her shoulders a little bit and just brushes it off and says, Oh, I, I thought I saw a performer that I've, I've seen before, but I, <laughs> I was mistaken. And so then what do you do with the drawing? Um, just close the notebook back in the bag. Sounds good. All right. So at that point, Chip, you probably, uh, Agent Marcus leaves and you probably walk back over. No, all right, ladies, that was more of the same. Same, you know, the, the what our mission is, what I am, what you are, you know, the same thing they say to me every time. And do you know what I say to them every time? I say <laughs> I know that they're just ladies, and I know that they're just casuals, but they're the best damn lady casuals there are in the biz. <laughs> Cheers to that. <laughs> I think Veronica rolls her eyes a little, and it's like, oh, uh, gentlemen as always, Chip, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Miss Doyle. All right, so so what's the plan? You have the uh, the the leather binder. I'm gonna call it a binder from now on. What would you like to do? I mean, I kind of feel like we have one direct course of action, right? Let's go to Abigail's um, Kips Bay apartment. 
start digging around. Do we want to do it where, like, you two can go to the apartment and kind of get a head start, and I'll call the the cop because that you know, agent to agent, and then you can kind of get a look like you you're the ones who are going to look at the art and stuff. Mm-hmm. So then oh, I can yeah. meet you over there. It's mm-hmm. a good idea. Mm-hmm. Should we read what's in the in the binder first? Probably. Yes. But then I like that plan. All right. So I'm going to pull a few more things into the Google Drive here for you. Moving quick. Already. Going <laughs> crazy. You already met the ghost clown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm shook. Dahlia's not shook, but I'm shook. <laughs> we are not five minutes into this mission, and you're already yeah. having visions. I mean, <laughs> was it real? It's and only so me. disturbingly described. <laughs> Like that was it was so, ugh, ugh, everything about it sounded awful. Honestly, like the shapes on the clown's overalls are what are stuck in my mind. At the but moment. yeah, that stuff I hate. That I can't think about that <laughs> stuff too much. I'm just gonna hang up and leave and not come back if I get too scared. <laughs> leave the ladies. It's like oh yeah, and then Chip died. All right, see you later, everybody. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start pulling these things in, but the first thing that I just put in there is um, a kind of a summary of the case files from the NYPD and the FBI on Abigail Wright. If somebody wants to read that out loud, you could certainly do that. Um, I can. Uh, so name, Abigail Laura Wright, age 26, race white, gender female, profession artist, last known location, McAllister Building, 20... Uh, sorry, 210 East 32nd Street, Apartment 1A, New York, New York, 10016. Timeline. Wednesday, May 31st. Wright last seen at her apartment by her father, Thomas Wright, um, who is a Nassau County police officer. Sunday, June 4th. Wright reported missing by her father after no contact for days. Monday, June 5th. NYPD entered apartment 1A. Find every available surface of the apartment other than the floor covered in junk that had been glued or taped to the walls. There was no sign of struggle. There's a sub-comment here that says, Investigators note that all indications from those who knew her are that Abigail Wright was a fastidious person not given to accumulating odds and ends. Tuesday, June 6th through Thursday, June 8th, interviews with neighbors turned up nothing of use. Friday, June 9th through Friday, June 23rd, the apartment remained a crime scene and was visited four times by the MIPD. A few leads were followed, but nothing of substance was uncovered. Friday, August 4th, Abigail Wright's credit card was used in Patience, Maryland to purchase a pack of old gold cigarettes. The case was handed to the New York FBI as a possible kidnapping. And then Saturday, August 5th through Wednesday, August 9th, New York uh, FBI investigates, re-examined the building tenants and spoke with Wright's associates associates and friends, same dead ends as NYPD. Employees at the gas station where the credit card was used had no particular recollection of the transaction and did not recognize Wright from photographs. The signature on the receipt was her name, but not her handwriting, and the gas station had no surveillance cameras. So in addition to the um, the, the NYPD and FBI files that were summarized in that uh, summary, thank you for reading that, Lindsay, you also, in the in the leather binder, you find your temporary FBI credentials, and each of those have your photo and actual name on them. Um, so you are officially all contracted by the FBI, or, or in Chip's case, um, this is just the case you've been assigned to. There's also a, a New York Post article that seems to be about Abigail Wright's disappearance. Um, there are two keys stamped Do Not Duplicate, with a plastic tag on the key ring that reads McAllister Building, 210 East 32nd Street, Apartment 1A. And there are two photos. There's a professional headshot included with the NYPD files, and there's also a Polaroid photo of Abigail Wright seemingly seemingly taken herself with the date 6195 printed on the bottom. So 6195, that would be like three days before she was missing? Yeah, it's three days before her father reported her missing and, and the day after her yeah. father last saw her. Okay. What does she look like in that photo? Does she look distressed? You can see it. She looks kind of weird. It's a it's a, it's a a 1995 selfie. Yeah. She's got that overexposure game going on. Oh, so much stuff. Okay. So I think you had talked about um, potentially Veronica and Dahlia going to the building first and getting a look around before Chip called the detective on the case. Is that is that still what you're thinking? Any Does any of this kind of change the way you want to approach? No, it still makes sense to me that they would head over there and I would call them. 
Okay. Um, the other thing I want to kind of point out is, um, you know, I think different than some other Delta Green situations, you're all in the city that you live in, right? And so your your everyday lives will either have to continue or you're going to have to find some way of putting them on pause. And so it's Thursday at about five o'clock. Dahlia, you have a you have an art show later this mm. evening at your gallery that you're supposed to be hosting. Okay. Also, you um. Just another thing for you to consider, you and Jude and Jude's parents um, are planning on going to dinner tomorrow night, so that's something to keep in mind. Okay. For Veronica, um, your best friend, Mary Ellen, is planning to come into the city tomorrow night for the weekend. Um, she's she's planning on taking some time away from her husband and kids. She's get, getting a little bit of a weekend getaway and coming to stay with you for the weekend. And Chip, Saturday, which is in two days from now, is actually yours and Anne's anniversary. Okay. And I assume also that Veronica and Dahlia have to work the next day, work on Friday. So yeah. just consider those things as you kind of plan how you want to approach this work. But this is also my official FBI assignment right now, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So you, yeah. So you are officially on assignment. So you don't have to deal with work at least from that perspective. All right. So Chip, are you going to try to give Dahlia and Veronica a little bit of time to kind of look around pre-calling um, Detective Jordanda? Yeah, maybe I'll call uh, uh, my fiance to tell her about the next two days. And I, I mean, I know Saturday's the anniversary, but might not be home for a couple days. Gotcha. Um, do you have any? Did you plan something for the anniversary? Or are you hoping that she did? Yeah, she she plans it every year. She usually tells me the day before because I won't remember otherwise. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, then she just kind of when you call, she says, oh, that, that's fine. But just, you know, make sure that you have at least Saturday afternoon and evening blocked out. Of course, I wouldn't miss it for the world. All right. Great. Well, good luck and good luck on the case. Good luck with whatever you're going to be doing. <laughs> just dismissively, like whatever yeah. it is that you're going to be doing. Well, <laughs> that Anne, what a lucky woman. <laughs> We've been together since high school. <laughs> She's dealt with it for so long. All right. So um, Dahlia and Veronica, you probably, you know, you're kind of cutting over from the, oh God, get my, get my New York geography down here a bit. You're probably taking the subway, but then kind of walking over or walking over and then taking the subway. You kind of have to cross over to the east side. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you head up to the address that's listed on the case file. And you you arrive there. It's a classic brownstone structure, three stories in a basement, kind of has a faux castle design. There's a fake portcullis that hangs above the large double doors, artificial ramparts encircling the windows and ledges, and even a couple of cheap concrete gargoyles watch from the rooftop. Love it. Yeah, so uh, so so what are you going to do here? Um. So we have the keys, right, to... The building. You do. You have yeah. Okay. You have one key to the building and then one key to her apartment, which is listed as one A. Okay. Awesome. And I'm gonna say that Veronica suggested on their trip over that they pick up some plastic gloves, <laughs> um, just so if they're picking through things, they're not like leaving their fingerprints everywhere. Yeah. Sorry. While we're doing that, let's get like labeling supplies, some plastic bags, things like mm. that, since that's our official task. Perfect great idea yeah you can you can totally pick all that up okay um can we take a look um on the outside of the building just to see like before we go in if like the what what other names are like next to the buzzers for the neighbors we should also get disposable cameras mm. good idea those are fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a couple of codes that always says happy birthday in the corner a tiny ghost clown and all your pictures yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. I like the idea of just looking around the out, you know, being primed to notice things outside the building as well. Yeah, so you start kind of taking a look around. Um looks like the the basement um is only accessible through the outside. Um you know, as you as you kind of would expect in a brownstone, there's a, you know, a few steps down into whatever the basement area is. Um, and there is a buzzer and, and an intercom system on the door, but there are no there are no names listed. You kind of look through the door. It looks like there are some mailboxes that have names on them, so you might be able to look there if you go through the first door. But yeah, the the buzzer system just there's a one A, two B, three A, five A, six B. 
it's kind of it it seems like a, it, it's a little confusing it seems like there are it, however these apartments are numbered they're not by floor all right and is she she's the basement apartment or she's the first floor apartment all you have is one a okay on the uh on the address that you got i think we should go into the lot or like the little lobby where the mailboxes are and see yeah so you go through the door and um, you look at the mailboxes um the foyer is kind of a small marble floored room with with the mailboxes. It's covered in old newspapers, uh, sales circulars, and pizza coupons. I think anybody who has lived in a city, and especially New York City, can picture exactly what that looks like. And so then you see there are five there there are names next to five different apartments. There is for one A it says A Wright, for two B it says T Manuel, uh, for three A it says R Caroon. For 5A, it says L Post. And then for 6B, it says M Van Fitz. And then there are other mailboxes for 5A, 7B, 8A, 9A, 10B, and 11B. And all of those do not have names next to them. Um, is there any notice posted around like who the super is or like the maintenance person? Yeah, the only thing you notice that it is that there's a there's like a sticker on the mailboxes that it makes it seem like maybe the building is owned by a company called Art Life, A R T L I F E, Art Life. But nothing really other than that. There's a there's a phone number and an address for Art Life, but that's it. Okay. Shall we go further in? Yeah, I think so. All right. So you head through the next door using the key that you have. It looks like there's a single hallway that runs the length of the building. Um, it's carpeted in plush burgundy. Um, and as you kind of get your bearings, it seems like at least this first floor has two apartments on either side and the stairway is kind of in the middle. Um, and so there's an apartment to your left and to your right and then the stairway and then past that there's another apartment to the left and to the right. It's all carpeted. Wow. The, yeah, the whole hallway is carpeted. <laughs> Gross. <Can you> <laughs> yeah. So much carpet. Good for them. Good for them. I'm just the cleaning fees. I can't. I hope they don't have any pets. (laughs) That's the first thing Veronica notices. She's horrified. No, um. the dander. Um, and the uh, the first apartment on the left, um, you see the you see that it says on the door one um, A, which seems to be what Abigail Wright's apartment would be. You also see some signs hanging around. It looks like the floors are are named ground floor, first floor, second floor, kind of in the European style, where the the first one up is the first floor, this mm-hmm. one's the ground floor. And I would say I I would be taking pictures, like just a quick snapshot of the mailboxes with the other names and the sticker, maybe the front door, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep, no problem. And so, um, yeah, and you also see it looks like the other apartments on this floor are um, are 2B, 3A, and 4B. Um, so maybe maybe the A and the B is the side of the building, and then they just start numerically numbering the, the apartments. Okay, and there's no basement access here. We just see the other apartment doors, and that's it. You can just go up on the stairs, right? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, there's some other like there's some like doors that look like they maybe mm-hmm. lead into like utility mm-hmm. closets or something like that, but but that's about it. Um, I mean, I think we should. I am ready to like go into her apartment, and I feel like we have a lot of opportunities to like yeah. talk to these other neighbors and maybe like pick around upstairs. But this seems like our logical start. What do you think? Yeah, let's go in. All right, so you open up the door to Abigail Wright's apartment to one A. And it's large. The first thing that you notice as, as New Yorkers is that it's large for New York standards. It's got a main room with a kitchenette, separate bathroom, separate bedroom. But very quickly, your attention shifts away from the size of the apartment uh, because of the strange scene that you find. The walls and ceilings are covered in layers of paper and objects epoxied in a bizarre but seemingly meaningful pattern of strata. On first glance, you see sets and partial sets of dentures, an old-looking wheelchair, modern and antique artificial limbs, dozens of shirts, shoes, and briefcases, assorted radios spanning several decades, all manner of jewelry, earrings, rings, and necklaces, along with thousands of papers of all designs and ages. And so there's just all of this stuff is pasted in layers on the walls and the ceiling of every surface of this apartment. The floor is bare. The rug has been ripped up and taken away, exposing battered and stained linoleum. There's no furniture in here. The only things sitting on the floor that you see are a couple of electronic devices. There's a transistor radio, a small tape player, and a CD Walkman. 
uh, that look like they were taken down from the walls because you can still see where like part of the wall was kind of torn up as it was removed. And there's a cardboard box in the apartment that's marked evidence, FBI, right A, 10 August 95. And so that's obviously, you know, for you as the people that are contracted by the FBI. But we are going to kind of pause you there um, and move over to Chip. Um, so Chip, um, you know, you called Anne. You're kind of trying to give Veronica and Dahlia a little bit of time. What are you going to do? Um, I think I'll, I'll take a look at the uh, case file myself, just kind of leaf through it, uh, see if there's anything, you know, that jumps out at me. But really, honestly, it seems like other than wanting to talk to maybe the father at some point, there's really not much else. You know, that that can be checked into uh, before I call this investigator. So I might as well uh, give him a call or even go down to where is the station? Like, where is the guy at? Oh, yeah, he's uh, he's based in, in one of the kind of east side police stations. I'm not sure where they're all located, but yeah, he would be based somewhere in that in the Kipps Bay area. Okay. So I guess I could just call him and see if there's any benefit to going down. Yeah. So he uh, he answers the phone and says, this is uh, Detective Giordanda. How can I help you? Hi, Detective G- G- Just wanted to introduce myself. I'm from the FBI. Uh, <laughs> my name is Agent Chip Lynch, uh, and I'm here uh, working your Kipps Bay case, uh, your your kidnapping, potential murder. I uh, just got all of my information from, from the Bureau, and just wanted to touch base with you and see if there's anything you could offer me as the local authority uh, working with my national authority. Oh yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for calling. I uh, I'm glad you all are on this case. I really I gotta be honest with you. I've hit a bit of a dead end here, so I'm glad that, that uh, somebody else is taking over, or at least that you're going to uh, get things cleaned up. It's a uh, it's an interesting one. Do you uh do you have keys to the apartment? Do you uh you want me to meet you down there and and let you in and show you around, or or uh, how can I how can I help? Well, I mean we we have uh, everything we need uh, from the bureau. You know the the United States government is is thorough as always. Uh, but uh, as long as you could just kind of uh, give me sort of your sense of what, what happened, what went on, I'm sure we can pick it up from there. We'll walk down to where your dead end is, and then we'll figure out a way around it. That's what we do. Yeah, I, I, I hope that you have the kind of luck that you sound like you, you're going to have. Uh, that would be that would be great. And you get kind of a, you know, he, he doesn't seem like he, he's not coming off as threatened yeah. by this at all. Like he's he seems genuinely pleased that you're kind of going to be looking into this. He's like, I gotta be honest with you. When you go down there, it's uh, it's a pretty wild scene. I've never seen anything like this shit. It's uh, it's just stuff all over the walls, and you know everybody, you know everybody says that that was, you know, she's not a hoarder. She's not anything like that. It, it was, it was really bizarre. I'll be honest. I think the uh, the credit card hit. I think I don't know. I I'm, I think somebody must have found that credit card or taken it or something. I don't actually think that. I don't. Sus- I don't. I don't actually have a lot of hope that she's uh, still around. If I'm being honest with you. You know, we, we pulled off a few of the, the electronics from the wall to see if we could run any serial numbers and see if we could get any hits there. Nothing really showed up on, you know, we haven't seen anything show up in any police seizures or at pawn shops or anything like that. So, I don't know. I think, in all honesty, I think you're probably going to catalog that, that place and you're going to find that there's no leads and we're going to call it on this one. But I hope that you find something else. Well, I mean, you did say uh, she was an artist, right? I mean... Have you seen most of the, the things they call art these days? Uh, it might as well be that she just was doing some sort of project on her walls. Uh, but who's to say? Uh, do you think? Do you have anything down there at the station uh, that you think would be of use to me? Or would you? do you think it's in my best interest to mosey on over there, check out the scene, and then give you another call and touch base again? Yeah, I don't think there's anything for you here. Uh, I think the, the feds left uh, some materials for cataloging down there, so you should be all set up. Um, and yeah, give me a call if you need anything. I'm in the area. All right, Detective G, have a good one. <laughs> All right, and he hangs up. So I guess I, I will uh, head over then to the uh, the apartment. Although, do we know where, like, do I have any kind of address on the father? Or do we have no real lead there? You don't have an address. Um, you know that he is a he's a Nassau County police officer, so he's a police officer on Long Island. So you know you could potentially find some, try to get some contact information for him that way. Yeah, I can do that tomorrow. I'll head over to the apartment. 
All right. Um, and so I, I assume you get there and kind of ring ring the apartment 1A and, and uh, Dahlia and Veronica let you in. So you are here with this um, very strange scene as well. So the three of you are together. Wow. She must have gone crazy. Look at this stuff. <laughs> Unbelievable. Perfectly good pair of shoes on the wall. I wonder what size those are, actually. <laughs> it is my uh, anniversary on Saturday. I do need a gift. <laughs> I'm Well, actually, you know, they're her size. I'm just going to... We'll catalog I mean, those separate. Despite being not a religious person, Veronica <laughs> does a quick uh, cross over herself and, um, you know, like a little bit of a, a swear as they <laughs> enter the room. Something decidedly um, macabre about finding dentures glued to the wall. So, and artificial limbs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, one one psychologically breaking piece at a time. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Dahlia's gonna go in and picture it as if this is like an art exhibit and just look at it as an observer of art, like like to not get freaked out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you as you look at it, it does look. Even though it looks chaotic, it does look intentional in some way. Yeah, what was the word that you used? Not spirals, but it has... Oh, strata. 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 It's mm. like, it's... Yeah, there's like there's like le- there's like like layers of items. Mm. Oh, so there's like a depth to this. Like if I were to chip away oh, yeah. at yeah, something, yeah, yeah. It's like there's like out. stuff below it. Okay. Because is it like a magic eye? Like if we squint and lean forward and then move back, will we, will I'm seeing look like a ship. Something? Are you? It's, got, it's depth of field. A, chi- a child clown. Wait a minute. Yeah, that is an obvious question that I have. Is does this seem to match the symbol that I drew from the clown? No, you don't. Yeah. There, you don't see any any kind of any comparison to that symbol at this point. No. Um, there's, I mean, it's there's too there's too much to see anything quite like that in the in the in the in the stuff. Okay. So even. Given um, her knowledge, does Dahlia notice anything about the arrangement at first? Nothing. Nothing about the arrangement as a whole. No. Okay. And in, in fact, actually, um, why don't each of you roll me an intelligence times five or a bureaucracy check? Whichever's higher. Yeah. Whichever. You, yeah. Whichever's higher. In times five. <laughs> in times five is forty. So let's Ooh, go boy. check the bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the bureaucracy, also 40. 40 is actually not bad. 40 is like, I, I think 40 is like the equivalent of like a college major. So you majored in bureaucracy. No, I, I could, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> All right, I'll roll bureaucracy though. I mean, I have a 85 um, int, so I'm going to do that. But wh- what should Go I be him. rolling with? Yeah, roll it. Roll a D100 and you're tr- trying to roll 85 or below. Okay, so just the D100. Well, yeah, so it's, it's, it's the two tens. Okay, all right. 86 over 40. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 89 over 40. Okay. 30 under 80, right? Yeah. 30 under 85. Okay. I got 62 under 70 for intelligence. All right. So, Chip, as you look at this scene and you think about cataloging this stuff, all that you can really think is that this is going to take a really, really long time. But Dahlia and Veronica feel like they have a a bit better sense of how long this is going to take. If all three of you were working together for kind of full, like, you know, 12 hour days or so, you think it would probably take you about four days to catalog all of this stuff. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. There's a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though, you know, you have a particular unofficial job, like you have been contracted by the FBI. And I think especially Chip, like someone's going to expect that you've done this. Yeah. Okay. Well, good thing there's three of us, I suppose. <laughs> Looks like you're saying we have to do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. How do you order a pizza to a missing girl's house, you know? Like, just to get... <laughs> it, 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 pings, it pings the FBI again. Yeah. Somebody ordered pizza to our house. My, my pager rings. Yeah. Oh, we have yeah. to investigate. We look through the files. Do they have the credit card number now? Like, is yeah. it still good? <laughs> Oh, now I hope that the next, I just hope the audience knows that what's, what will now happen is just seven episodes, four hours a piece of us categorizing. <laughs> and that is a left The shoe. slow burn of yeah. Delta Green. That's a, oh, wait, that's a scary picture. Ah, no. It's not actually a scary picture. It just was underdeveloped. All right, throw it out. <laughs> 
four hours. Well, and you, yeah, you have to you have to detail what you write mm-hmm. on the on the little manifest every mm-hmm. time you write something down. And mm-hmm. I, I zip I zip up the Ziploc <laughs> bag and place it in the box. Chip's wrist gets tired and he stops for five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Chip's power goes out suddenly. <laughs> It's weird how we might be able to abstract some of that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But it is about 530 Mm -hmm. um, on Thursday evening. Dahlia, you probably have an event later that, you know, I I don't know what time your art event, you know, maybe starts around seven or something like that. So kind of, you know, what what do you what's your what's your plan of action here as a group? I would plan to go to my art event and then come back and start cataloging tonight. Like I enjoy working through the night. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem for Veronica. I think um, she needs to call Mary Ellen and break the news that they cannot hang out this weekend. Um, And I think just knowing if we are aware that it's going to take like a couple days to kind of get everything together and probably working through the night, I think she'll go back to her apartment first and change and feed her cat before she returns. Sounds good. Chip brought a suitcase. He's ready to... He's posting up right here. He's going (laughs) to... He's got a sleeping bag. He's in the sleep <laughs> in this missing girl's apartment. He's oh, gonna that's sleep amazing. An hour, an hour a night. He's just he's a guy. He's he's driven, and he does not believe thinking about it and like knowing the other two well. He doesn't think he needs to cancel his his Saturday anniversary because like they figure they'll be three days into it. He'd be able to get away for a few hours. Like he does take that kind of commitment seriously at this point. Might change. But right now he's thinking I don't need to change that plan. Got it. So, um, so Dahlia is going to go off to her to her event. Veronica is going to, you know, maybe go home and and change and feed her cat and call Mary Ellen. Chip, are you sticking around here and just you're gonna you're gonna dive right in? Yep. Time to get to work. All right. Sounds sounds like a plan. So, uh, Veronica, what do you tell Mary Ellen? I think. Veronica's going to tell Mary Ellen that she's come down with like a a flu because pretty much anything short of being extremely sick, um, Mary Ellen would probably have a problem of like not hanging out. Um, I think even that conversation would be a little tough because she'd be like, it's fine. I need to get away from my kids. Uh, I'll come take care of you. You know, they've been friends for a really long time, but I think Veronica kind of puts her off and is like, you know, when I feel better a couple weeks, you know, we'll make this happen again. All right, why don't you give me a, a persuade roll, but it's going to be at a minus 20. So whatever your persuade score is, drop that by 20, and that's the number you're shooting to get below. Okay, all right. So my persuade is 80, so I need to get below 60. Is that yep, right? Yep, that's right. Okay. She said it's mad cow disease. It's <laughs> I was like, is bird flu a thing at this time? Um, <laughs> so I got a 49 under 60. All right, so, you know, you have been friends with Mary Ellen since college, and even though she can probably sometimes tell when you're lying, you also know how to lie convincing to, convincingly to her. Um, and you, you're, you're able to convince her that, uh, that you are sick and that you'll, you'll, you'll do this again in a few weeks. And you head home, you, uh, you know, pack up a few things, feed your cat, and um, anything else you want to do before kind of making your way back? Um, since it's Thursday and we think it might take a little while, um, I am gonna leave a note for my next door neighbor, um, Mrs. Clemens. We usually have dinner together on Sundays, um, and let her know I might have to cancel, but to still feel free to cook something because I'll eat it when I get home. All right. Sounds, sounds like a plan. And what about work tomorrow? Oh, work. Um, I call, uh, Greg, who is my coworker with the same sort of excuse. I don't know if Greg buys it as much, but we have worked together for a while now. Taking a PTO day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They legally can't ask what you're doing. Let's pay time <laughs> off. Could they in don't 95, answer any though? questions. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know if they have those kind of protections. but. <laughs> well. Uh, but I don't have a cell phone. Present. How are you going to reach me? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, so you do that. Um, Dahlia, you probably have to maybe head home to your apartment to kind of get ready for the event, um, or maybe you're maybe you know maybe you're already already dressed up for the event that you like you want to be, um, and you head over. Do you think that you're are you distracted during the event? Do you think people can tell, or do you kind of lock in when when people are around? Yeah, I don't think people could tell at all. I definitely wouldn't let anyone know that I was doing anything other than looking at the artist that I mentioned I was looking at. And I think the plan is that I will 
get a coworker to cover for me tomorrow in the gallery anything that needs to happen and say that I was really intrigued by this young artist and I need to go like get breakfast with them on Friday morning and see how that day goes. Cool. I like it. I like it. All right, so kind of rewinding in time. So, you know, Chip, you know, uh, Dahlia and Veronica leave. Veronica's probably going to be gone for, you know, an hour, maybe two hours, kind of getting things settled before she comes back. Dahlia's going to be gone a little bit longer than that. And you start to you start to dig in. Any, in, any particular way you're approaching this, or are you just going to start? That's going to probably start from the, like, the... Maybe if as soon as you walk in right on your left, just start making my way around. Uh, or if there's a prominent center point, if there's like, you know, if I look at it and like you said, there's a symbol. But if that if it looks like that's the like the focus, then I would probably start in the middle thinking it, there was the most information to be gleaned there. Got it. And what do you think? You know, you're as we've talked about, you're you know, you're a you're a guy who. When he's got a job, he he likes to get the job done. He likes to get the job done efficiently and and thoroughly. Uh-huh. But at this point, you kind of have two jobs, right? Like you have your you have your FBI job where you're supposed to catalog all this stuff, but then you're also supposed to be trying to figure out whether there's any unnatural influence to the disappearance of Abigail Wright and whatever's going on here. So, kind of, what do you think? Are, what are you thinking about? How are you considering trying to approach both of those jobs? I think the first thing I do is now that it's it's. You know, I can really take a look at it. I'll do I'll probably have the the sort of like base level sketching skills to just kind of draw out like what the the general idea. Because you said it's got depth, so there's there's you know a pattern to it at least. And if not a pattern, but there's like you can replicate it. So I you know kind of sketch out what it looks like. So I have that because I figure. I mean, I don't know if it's an occult symbol, but I know there are occult symbols. It's one of those things where it's not like he's thinking, oh, this could be. It's just like, well, I know a lot of times that we need to know these things. So let me make sure I have these things. So he's just kind of doing both jobs, same time, same brain. Just see what I can see. And, and it's going to fit in one of two boxes. Yeah, that makes sense. So you you start to, you know, you kind of sketch it out. You start to kind of pull stuff off the walls and 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 look at it. A lot of it's mundane. A lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. You know, it's or it doesn't make a lot of sense to you why anyone would have collected this set of items and stuck it to their wall. You find a lot of kind of like scrap paper, um, you know, pages from old books that you don't, you know, you don't really recognize. You you decide to spend a little time trying to pry this like old radio from the wall. It looks like it was something from the, you know, the 1930s or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you see when you pry it off the wall, you see on the back, there's like a little, um, a little like metal plaque um, that says Hunt Electrodynamics. Um, seems like that was the maker of this uh, radio. And, you know, you've been going for about an hour. Make me a, make me a sanity check. And then I was going to also ask, could I do a search? Because uh, I do have a high search, so... And are you are you just kind of searching searching the apartment? Yeah, just kind of. Uh, I should have done it when I before I started, but just kind of a once over to see if anything seems like uh, maybe I should dig into that. You want me to do that before I do sanity? No, go ahead and just do the sanity first. Okay, my sanity. So I'm rolling. Uh, oh, that's not good. Ninety <laughs> or no nine double zero. What's that mean? Uh, nine double zero is a nine, so that is a nine under whatever your sanity. Oh, is. nine under fifty-two. Yeah, chip. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Doesn't even notice. You're singularly focused. You're taking stuff off the wall. None of it is phasing you. And then it, you're kind of like, you know, you were you were like, oh, I'm I'm not doing, you know, like I, I'm not I'm not leaning into my FBI skills here. I was like focused on this job. Let me do a quick search around the apartment and. As you kind of look around, you're kind of like, you know, trying to, you know, they said there were no signs of struggle, but you're kind of, you know, checking some of the places where you think maybe, you know, if she was like forcibly removed from the apartment or if anything like that happened, you're kind of looking around. You go into the bathroom, you don't really see anything. And you're kind of, you, you're you looking near the front door and you spot a a tiny microphone that's sticking out from under the hallway rug right next to the base of Abigail Wright's door as if to record sound from the inside. 
And that is where we are going to end our story for now. Hmm. <laughs> Must be that ghost clown. <laughs> oh, man. Someone knows when there's people in there. <laughs> This podcast was published by Arrangement with the Delta Green Partnership. The intellectual property known as Delta Green is a trademark and copyright owned by the Delta Green Partnership, who has licensed its use here. The Impossible Landscapes campaign is copyright Dennis Detwiller, and the contents of this podcast are copyright Nature of My Game podcast, accepting those elements that are components of the Delta Green intellectual property. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast.